Welcome, Welcome to Persisters. Persisters. I'm Beth Rowe, the creator of the show. And I'm Alex Kern, the producer. Persisters is a bi-monthly female show at the historic Black Cat in Los Angeles, home of the first civil LGBT protest. Each show features an eclectic mix of artists from writers and stand-ups to poets and musicians. Additionally, each show spotlights a local charity. Persisters, the podcast, is an extension of the live show. Each episode will feature one Persisters performance. First, you'll hear a playback of the performer's set from our live show, and then we'll sit down with the performer and talk about everything. Episodes are posted every Friday, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and follow us on Instagram at PersistersLA. This week's episode features Riley Silverman, stand-up comedian, storyteller, and local Wonder Woman. This is not a joke. I was literally, I was new material about finding my orgasm. Like literally 100% was the plan. And now I feel like I can't follow that with what I was going to do. Because I'm a comedian, so mine's all silly. But no, also, I'm going to. Just let me get through what I'm doing. I have a prepared thing. Also, Michelle, I wanted you to know, I also sound like a man for most of my life. And I've been trying to fix that ever since, too. I don't know. I totally get you, girl. I'm totally... With you. No, I, I actually did not find my orgasm until about two years ago because I was a year into hormones and I never had one before. Like, I had sneezed from my crotch a few times, so that's all we could call it. Like, I never had like a full on, like, 90s hair shampoo commercial orgasm, right? <laughs> and I, I didn't know, I just thought it was like a, an issue with me because I, so um, I, bless you, um, I. <laughs> When I transitioned, see, I had had lots of attempts to have orgasms in my life. I like, slept with women and whatever, and things didn't ha- like work out. And I thought, at one point in my life, I actually thought that I had a like a disorder because like I would things would rev up, but they would never finish. Which in my mind was like, oh, this is a great disorder to have sexually because you're like basically like a, like a human dildo essentially because you can't finish it. But uh, unfortunately, nothing is less arousing in the bedroom to your partner than a deep seated sense that something is wrong with you. <laughs> like. like <laughs> It's just not romantic or sexy in any way. And so I always, like, found ways with, like, partners to get around it. Like, I, I'm a lesbian, so I date women. So I would date with, like, women that I was with, I would always find, like, like oh, we can just, you know, I, I'd, like, excuses or whatever. And then I would, like, we'd, like, make out or I would just go down on her or something. So I didn't have to deal with my issues. Um, and occasionally I would, I would say that I would, I would meet women who, if I told them, like, I just have a problem finishing and it's just not my thing, then they would, like, work really, really hard to try to make it happen, which is a power you should not use for evil, by the way. Just don't, <laughs> like, fellas in the room, don't be like, I can't finish. You got to try really hard. Like, that's, that's, don't do that. Um, so I remember when I sat in a doctor's office when I was about to take my hormones the year before this story takes place, I, I was like, they were giving me like a list of side effects that you would get by taking estrogen and testosterone blockers and stuff like that. And one of the things it said on the paper was you will no longer experience, you will no longer enjoy sex in a traditional way. And I was like, I'm already ahead of you. Don't worry about that problem. (laughs) I am on this team already. And so, uh, I was like, I will sign that. But the thing is, all it said was it said you will no longer enjoy sex traditional way. And then it said there are other ways to enjoy sex and perhaps you and a partner can explore those together. That's all it said. <laughs> Y'all, that is not information. <laughs> At best, that is a well wish. That is like. <laughs> hey, you kids have fun. Like, that's. Like, if tomorrow you got in your car and you're like, hey, GPS, how do I get to Trader Joe's? And your car was like, well, there's lots of ways to get to Trader Joe's. <laughs> 
and perhaps you and Navigator can find those together. <laughs> it's not a GPS anymore, it's a game of Oregon Trail. <laughs> so uh, I was like, fine, I'm just going to live my life the way that I was, I'm just going to deal with it, it's not really a change, so fine. And then cut to a year later, I am on Facebook, and somebody posts this meme that is a South Park reference, and basically it's a joke where it's like, step one, steal things, step two, blank, step three, profit. Like, that's the joke is, like, what do you do? But step three, step two in this meme, someone had put a card that said uh, hormonal placement therapy and then the female orgasm. And then a bunch of people were commenting, like, this game knows what's up. And I did not know what was up. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, we can totally have female orgasms. I'm like, that's, that's not a thing. And they go, no, yeah, you can. You can. You t- I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying the orgasm isn't a thing. I'm saying me being able to have one is not a thing. Uh, turns out it's a thing. And I didn't know it. Uh, to some basic science for y'all, uh, turns out that uh, um, essentially babies in the womb are the same for like a good period of time. And all the organs are the same organs until certain things hit them and make them grow into innies or outies, right? And I was born with an Audi, which is a mistake I've been trying to fix ever since. Um, so the, the, the nerve endings at the head of the penis are the same nerve endings that are in the clitoris. That is a real fact that Google, con- Google confirmed, and I'm going to go with it until I find another fact that denies it. Basically, if you had a Lego set that was called Human Junk, you could make... Uh, <laughs> You can make a penis or a vagina with the exact same blocks and don't step on them in your bare feet. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that would hurt. I mean, if you're into that, fine. That's like your thing. I'm not, I'm not here to kink shame. I just don't want you to hurt your feet. Um, for the listener, somebody yell out or do because this is being recorded. Uh, so I, I played with it for a while. I bought a vibrator and all things you're supposed to do. And y'all, it's, it's amazing. I don't know how to describe how much that, like, I finally had one. And it was amazing. And it's like the difference, like, essentially what I'm trying to explain to you with the clitoris and the, the penis pieces, like, basically I am rocking right now a clitoris on a pole. <laughs> do you understand? I have a G-spot that literally anybody can find. <laughs> Like, I have to tuck it out of the way because it's inconvenient at points in my life. Like, that's where I'm at now. Like, the only way that I can describe it, the difference between my orgasm now and before when I wasn't really having one, is it's like if you were wearing a skirt or a dress for three to six months and you reach down one day out of the blue and realize that it has pockets. <laughs> it is, like, that much better. <laughs> So that was that investigation, and then changing gears entirely, this is a story, a material about a time that I was subject to an investigation. So I mentioned that I have a G-spot that literally anybody can find, and by that I also mean TSA at the airport. (laughs) Because uh, a step down from terrorists on the TSA watch thing is transgender people. They do not know what to do with us, and they get real confused by it real fast. Uh, like they can't like they, there was an FBI ex, uh, exam for TSA at one point where they sent like a bunch of fake bombs through the airport to see if they caught any of them. Uh, they missed 79 out of 80 fake bombs that the FBI sent through. Have fun flying. Uh, <laughs> 
but they can catch a penis on a trans woman from anywhere in the line. They are good at it. So I did the stuff you're supposed to do. So I walked through. I went through the security. I went to the machine where it scans you. I put my hands in the air like I don't care. And then <laughs> I... I stepped through the machine, and then the, the male security guard, like, stopped me. And he was like, hey, we got a bit of an alarm off of you. And I was like, an alarm? What does that mean? And they go, well, we used to call people like you an anomaly, but we changed it to alarm because that's less offensive. <laughs> and I was like, is it? All right. Um, let's table that point for now. Uh, <laughs> What's, what's going to happen? So then they, he comes to him, a female agent steps forward, and she shows me the screen they show you where it's like an outline of your body and like the boxes where there's like a thing, and they show me a yellow box right over my junk. And then this woman looks me in the face, and she points to this box, and she goes, okay, so right here is the problem area. <laughs> I could have told you that. Like... Like 30 years ago, that would have <laughs> real contention. So I'm like, and this is this story happened about uh, like three, like two and a half years ago. So I'd only been on hormone six months at this point in time. But anyway, so I go, okay, so what has to happen? I just want to fly. And they go, okay, well, we're going to send it to the machine again, and we're going to tell it that you're a man. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a big fan of that plan, but I want to fly, so... <laughs> I'll play ball or balls, whatever. Just let me get on the plane. So I go through the machine, put my hands in the air, starting to care a little bit at this point if I'm, <laughs> if I'm being honest. So then they scanned me, and at this point, I told the machine that I was a man, and then what happened was what I learned that day, having at this point been on hormones for six months, six months of estrogen, I learned that day that my girls had started to grow in. Because the second time I go through the problem area was right here on my chest. And that was like a magical moment, because I missed the day in health class where you learned about when you developed, and I didn't know that you learned you're developing when you're told by a man with a taser next to a robot. <laughs> Life is beautiful. So uh, I go, okay, what has to happen? Because both ways you go with me, you're not getting me through. And I, I just want to fly. I'm like, can I consent to a pat-down? I will consent to a pat-down. And then they both just blank stare at me. <laughs> because now neither one knows whose job it is to touch me. <laughs> They're both like, if we do this wrong, we're going to be in a BuzzFeed article. We have to... <laughs> really handle this. And the way they did handle it was they rock, paper, scissors to see who it was. <laughs> and the female agent lost, so she had to come forward and pat me down. So this is harder to do when I'm sitting, but so basically she gets down and she like lo she's like patting me down, things are standard procedure, we've all been patted down, whatever. And then, but then she gets to like my hips and then she stops and she raises back up, makes eye contact, and she goes, okay. Uh, she goes, if I reach up under your skirt, am I going to find something up there? And I'm like, that's 100% of the problem already. <laughs> like, you have found something up there. Like, that's why I'm stopped. Like, what? She goes, no, no, what I'm asking you is, she goes, if I reach up under your skirt, am I going to find a weapon up there? <laughs> and I'm just like, do you mean like in a sociological sense? Because... <laughs> Because, yeah, uh, you're going to find the cause of all the war.
which I didn't. I did not say out loud because I want to fly again ever in my life. I just, I just said no. It's my. You're gonna reach. You're gonna find my junk. You're gonna reach up and touch my junk. She goes, no. I, she goes, okay. That's the thing. She goes, I don't want to reach up under your skirt and like grab on your junk and rub on anything. I'm like, I don't want that either. What do you think this is for me? <laughs> like, do you? Do you think that me being trans has been some long con that I've been pulling off to get one high security handy when I'm 33 years old? Because <laughs> that's a lot of work to put into what is l the least satisfying sexual experience a person could have. And then she's like, I'm like, she goes, you know what, it's fine. We actually just found out Sharon's gonna come over and she's gonna deal with it. And I was like, what does that mean? She goes, oh, she's cool, she'll touch it, she'll go for anything. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, do you? just have a person on staff that's your token freak at the airport every night? Like, is it like having a manager with keys at a store? We're just like, yeah, just call Sharon. She'll put her hands on whatever. Don't worry about it. So, uh, Sharon, yeah, that's, that's like, like, yeah, that's the end of that story. Basically, I got on the plane. It's fine. Uh, I think we're, I'm almost, how am I, how am I doing on, I mean, good on time or what's up? You know, you're good on time. You okay. All right, I will tell one more thing. Uh, I flew. I didn't get. I didn't get put in Guantanamo at the end of that story. Just you know, I'm still here. Um, I, I will tell you this. I, so this is the last thing I'll talk about tonight. I uh, I mentioned uh, uh, playing balls and my genitals a lot in that last story. So I'll go ahead and keep going with this. Let's do a theme. Uh, I had a surgery uh, a month and a half ago uh, where I had my balls cut out. That was the thing that happened. That's the thing we can do. Uh, it's a it's a thing. It's like a half. It's like a half mask. It's a <laughs> It's a like way cheaper, way safer version of having gender confirmation surgery than having the full vaginoplasty because they don't have to do any reconstructive stuff. They just cut it out and your body can't retest testosterone anymore. It's really easy to do. And so it's a thing that I had done. Uh, it turns out it was a super big fight to have it happen. And by the way, I say I have my balls cut out because the surgery is called an orchiectomy. I didn't want to make you guys Google that and find that out for yourself. That is a, that is a rough moment for someone on Google to go, oh, I did not mean to go down this rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> Uh, and also, I just feel like that's the most fun way to say it. Like, I think, like, if you say, if you try to sound, like, technical, and you go, oh, I'm having my testicles removed, it just sounds really creepy. So, um, so I had, by the way, also, if at any point in the show you were still thinking that I was a man, um, I just told you that I paid someone to remove my testicles. <laughs> Like, I actually got mad at an insurance company because for a while they weren't letting anyone do it. Like, I was pissed off that someone would not please taketh my balls. Because um, I actually, what happened was the day I was supposed to have it done in January, the day before, when the hospital called me for what I thought was my pre-op check-in information, was actually the uh, admin at my, my surgeon's office telling me that it wasn't going to happen. And I was like, wait, why? And they go, well, the insurance company denied the claim last minute, and so we're not, So I was really upset. And then I went on f Facebook, and I posted a thing about how upset that I was that I was having my surgery. I had been all big up. People were sending me gifts like to recover with and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, hey, all that money is spent for nothing because I'm not having surgery. And then people uh, were messaging me and like trying to make me feel better. And they were giving me like weird ways. Like they were like trying to make me feel better. They go, oh, uh, everything happens for a reason. Here's the thing. Uh, reasons are not inherently good. <laughs> like reasons for things happen all the time that are bad things. Like, but they were like trying to make it positive that I wasn't getting this thing that I had spent months like fighting to have happen. I had to go to a lot of therapy for it. I had a like, doctor sign off on paperwork for it. And now suddenly they were saying, yeah, we're not gonna do it. And so someone was like, well, maybe, maybe everything happens for a reason. Maybe the day that you were gonna have your surgery was a bad day for the doctor. And maybe you would have had your surgery and then the doctor would have slipped and cut like a vital organ or something. And I'm like, I don't think that's how doctors work. Um, 
I think it's like a, like a lot of slit lot of banana peels on the floor in surgery rooms, but okay. And then another person, independent of that person, messaged me and said, maybe it was a bad day for you. Maybe the anesthesiologist would have had a bad day. Apparently, there's a lot of bad days at Cedar sinai apparently, in people's <laughs> minds, uh, which is not. They were great. They handled it. But anyway, I, I don't want to get sued for making fun of a business. Uh, <laughs> But they were like, maybe, they go like, maybe the anesthesiologist would have had a bad day, and you would, now you get to have your surgery when you're going to have it, and you also get to keep both your legs. <laughs> it's a real thing that a person sent me in a message to cheer me up. And I was like, hey, can we stop writing Riley Silverman fan fiction about what would have happened on my <laughs> surgery day? Can we do that? Also, like, if you're going to make fan fiction for me, throw in, like, a hot lady for me to have slash fic with. Anyway, uh... <laughs> So surgery happened, and this is my last investigation thing for the story. My mom called me before the surgery was going to happen, before it was canceled and everything. And she messaged me, and or she called me and on the phone. She's talking to me, and she goes, hey, I wanted to ask you, are you still going to enjoy sex after your surgery? <laughs> I was like, what? And, and, and then she's like, well, I just want to make sure that you still... And then I had to like explain to her all the details about my orgasm that I had told you earlier in the story. Uh, like I had to do that on the phone. And, and she's like, okay, I, I've heard enough. I'm like, no, no, you asked. You, if you made me hear you ask that question, you get to hear my version of the answer. Uh, but then I was like, why did you ask me that question? And she goes, well, I just wanted to make sure... She's like, I love you. I wanted to make sure that you continue to enjoy life and all that it had to offer, which is very sweet, but also really creepy because we're talking about how hard I can come in the future. <laughs> and so my mom asked me that question all I could say back to her was well mom don't worry about it because no matter how my surgery goes I'm never going to have an orgasm again after this conversation <laughs> thank you very much I'm Robbie Tillman thank you hello persisters welcome back uh, today we are here with Riley Silverman hi Riley hello how are you I'm good how are you I'm good, good. great fantastic I mean, I, did, I didn't run a five I didn't run a 10k today but you know some of us did That's oh, yeah I didn't either just Beth it's because I did Riley where are you from I'm from Ohio originally Columbus where? Ohio okay and a suburb of Columbus called Pickerington okay. I'm from Ohio oh, right, I'm from Cleveland oh nice my dad's yeah. from Cleveland oh from no Parma. way yeah. okay yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. totally um, I'm not from Ohio. Well, it's I mean, okay. That's good for you, I guess. Thank you. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, good for you. Happy you were seventh place in our. <laughs> we all got out, right? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Everybody did. Like Ohio, I think it's like Ireland, where like more people are from Ohio than actually live in Ohio at this point. Like, I that's think it's so funny. Things. Like, I I did a photo shoot for a comedy website, and I was in sitting in a chair, and a woman walked in, and she had on a Ohio State jacket, and I was like, oh, I, I went to Ohio State, and then oh, she was did? like, she's like, oh, I knew that because I, I had mentioned it like in a previous thing, and I was like, oh yeah, and then like she's like, oh yeah, she's from Ohio State, from Ohio as well, and pointed to somebody else, and then like somebody, oh, and our our photographer from Ohio, and I'm like, is this like a weird? Am I being set up? Is this like a, this is your life kind of thing? And then like from another room, another woman who was in the photo shoot goes, oh, my boyfriend's from Ohio. I'm like, what is happening right now? It's like, so real. Yeah, everyone's yeah. from Ohio. Yeah, and my my boyfriend's from Cleveland, oh, but they right. also that's how we know each other. Yeah, grew yeah. up with Alex, so uh -oh. yeah. that's how. That's how we're all together. So when did you move from Ohio? I moved here almost eight years ago to the day, because I moved here right at the end of April, beginning of May in 2010. So right. wow. years in, yeah. So it's, it's what's I, I had tried to move here before I moved here, moved here in quotes, um, in 2005. And I was only here for like a month or so. I was like right out of college and I had no real plan. I had no real savings and I was only here. And I basically got here and got immediately overwhelmed with the fact that I was not ready and I didn't know yeah. what to do. Mm. And so I kind of, went back to Ohio with tail between my legs, felt like a total failure. And it was like a real soul crushing period in my life. And then I tried to move to New York in 2007 and same kind of thing. Only that situation, I, I had a plan of attack, but like nothing worked out. And like, 
Um, some of the things that I had planned fell through at the last minute, and I went anyway when I shouldn't have. To New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was yeah. like, no, I got to do it. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. And then I went and did it, and I was there for about a month and a half, almost two months. And then I, I came back, and I made a choice to come back that time because I was like, I had enough money that I probably could have made it there in another month. And then I would have been out of money. Whereas yeah. when I came back, I had that extra month of living in New York's worth of money. So it was like another like about twelve hundred bucks to my name. And yeah. so I was like, okay, I'd rather go back to Ohio now and have twelve hundred dollars to my name and be able to get like started back in Ohio again. And like I was a substitute teacher at the time when I left, wow. so I was still licensed for that year. And so when I went back, I was able to kind of get right back into teaching because I could just I just called the sub caller for my district and was like, hey, I'm ready. To, I'm back. Uh, give me any jobs that you have. So I was able to kind of keep working when I got back. Oh, that's what cool. were you? What would you teach? Um, anything junior high and high school. Oh, wow. As long as you have a bachelor's degree, at least in Ohio, at least then, it might have changed since then, but as long as you had a bachelor's degree, you could teach any subject for short term. Huh. Um, and I had an English wow. degree, so I could have taught long-term English, but I didn't ever have the opportunity. I never really did. They tend to give long-term assignments to, like, student teachers or people who have been retired teachers or whatever. But, right. Um, occasionally they'll give one. But, yeah, typically if you're just a bachelor's degree person, they just throw you in for, like, a day or two. I think you can do four days before you can't be in the room anymore if you don't have a teaching license. Oh. When did you start doing comedy? Did you come out here to do comedy? I did. Okay. I had already been doing comedy for about nine years when I moved out here. I started comedy in 2001 in, in Ohio. Oh, wow. Yeah, and, like, I started in it. In college? Yeah, I was oh. a freshman in college, and I went to the Funny Bone Comedy Club in Columbus, and I did their open mic, and I got started that way. Wow. And then I kind of, like, got information about other open mics that were in town and slowly, like, worked my way into the scene there. And oh, then, like, so cool. three or four years, like, about a year or two in, I started getting, like, paid work. Um, the, my first year in, I won a contest at the Funny Bone that got me in as a host at the club. And so for like, I was getting like paid weeks from them, like once every like six weeks for the first couple of years. And then I started like doing some more road work after that. And like, so I spent about four or five years or so doing a lot of like road gigs. And that was how I made like uh, when I wasn't substitute teaching or working in retail gigs. I would go travel and do like road work as a comedian. That's cool. Wow, did you that's did awesome. you like doing that? Yes and no. Um, I liked I liked the traveling. I liked performing, and depending on where I was, I enjoyed shows. Um, but a lot of the shows that I was doing were these like one nighter gigs in the middle of nowhere. So it was a lot right. of traveling, and it wasn't even like traveling because you weren't like seeing the sights. You were like driving six to eight hours to go check into a motel and then rush over to a bar and do time that for right. a crowd that may not like get what you're doing or understand. Right. You're like I wasn't out. I was I was in the closet still, um, and I was like afraid to come out. Because like I was, I was like, oh, if I come out, like I won't be able to, um, like, do these kind of gigs anymore. Because yeah. like, there's no way, like, I couldn't imagine um, in the mid 2000s being like a trans woman comic and showing up at like a bar in the middle of some midwestern small town. Like, oh it would God. be terrifying. Like, that is, like, yeah. like, I'm from the Midwest, and there yeah. are areas that are very progressive. So I don't want to like blanket like the entire region. Sure, but it's still like. I had seen how the crowd would react to material that was like, yeah. like not that was like pro gay or pro queer or like even like I, I did a gig one time where a comic jokingly said to the audience like they had been so friendly that he wasn't even going to ask them where this town had hidden all the black people because like it was like making a joke about how white this town was yeah. and then like to the audience that was an open invitation to start just dropping the n-word and I was like I am so glad that I was already oh, off stage and I didn't have that in my head when I went on stage because I think I would have been really surly and cruel and like mad about it and probably gotten myself in trouble but like by saying something that would have gotten the crap kicked out of me but like um 
Yeah. Also, yeah. like at that point, you're like in a in a location that's so far from home, and yeah. like other people that could help, like yeah. in any kind. Like of... that's how horror movies began, right? Like you do that, <gasps> yeah. and then, like you wake up in your hotel and you're being like duct taped or something, you know? <laughs> I, Nothing like ever happened to me in the room. I had but, a yeah. friend go and and do a, a show in Redondo, and she was like, "Not my crowd." Yeah, and it's like even in Redondo. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. I've done wow. I've done a few shows outside of the LA bubble. Some of them have done great. Yeah. Other ones have been like, oh, this was no, I don't know what am I doing. So I get that. Um, did your did did your writing did your sets change a lot after you came out? Oh, completely. And actually, that was part mm. of why I came out. Like I, my writing had already started to change, right. and I was writing. My, my material went from being this very, like, detached, observational kind of stuff to being a lot more personal and revealing. And so it felt like there was a moment where I just felt like I was, I was like, not able to achieve my full potential as a performer mm. because I was lying about the biggest part of my personality. And so, like, about lying about who I was. Yeah. So I was like, well, how honest can I be on stage? So that was a big part of it. And it was one of those gigs that helped me kind of come to that conclusion because I had done this one-nighter that was really, like, wasn't even bad. It was just, ugh, like, it was like, who cares? Like, it was mm-hmm. like, I, like, the crowd was just like, indifference and it was, like, just kind of soul-sucking. And it was, like, one of those things where the other comic and I on the show had, like, agreed to drive the eight hours and back like so 16 hours total um and not get a hotel because if we didn't get a hotel the gig was going to pay us 50 bucks more each so we're like okay oh, so wow. 50 bucks more, yeah. we'll do this and i remember like around three in the morning driving through indianapolis back to columbus ohio i was just like are these the gigs that i'm afraid i'm going to lose if i come out like mm. am i really like am i happy doing this and i wasn't and yeah. so that's when i decided to come out so wow. i was about I think seven years into comedy at that point because I started in 2001 and that was in... So eight years because I started in 2001 and that was in 2009. So that was like September 2009. 2010 you moved to LA. Yeah, I moved to LA about nine months after I came out. And I I didn't move here because of coming out. I moved here just to do comedy. Yeah. In your set that was like so amazing. So it was fine. it was so amazing. I mean, take it in. They we listened um, to it again. Wow. I've listened to it now three and a half times. Oh really? Yeah. I yeah. They um I did I did like one and a half after the show because I just went home and I was like a little tipsy and yeah. I just like listened to it again <laughs> and I was just like, ah. Yeah. They uh, I thought like we were talking about hmm. this earlier that it's like I don't know if you usually are if you usually do this, but like you were so much a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my act is very hybrid stand-up and storytelling. Yeah. I, I like doing it that way. I've, I've taken some storytelling classes. I've done some storytelling shows. And yeah. like, I can do just straight-up storytelling if I want to, and I have, and I like doing it. But as a stand-up, I like telling stories. Like, I like I'd love to hear more on that because that's what I'm It's – because they're so different, and yet there is a way to um, – kind of combine the two but I do think it's like a very particular thing and like a skill you have to work on because like I've gone to stand-up shows and they're like oh yeah we want more storytellers because I've always thought of myself as more of a storyteller and then I've gone I've like completely bombed Mm -hmm. and granted like well-deserved bomb, you know? Um, but it's, it's, it's the energy is so different if yeah. you're yeah. at a stand-up show and then you go and tell a story. So I'm like, all right, I got to like do a hybrid here. And you did that yeah. so well. I think yeah. that it helps for me is that I started in stand-up and I mm. knew how to write stand-up. And like I said, my original material was very detached. It was very set-up punch, set-up punch, just clever jokes. Like it was stuff that like, it's funny because when I started in stand-up, there was no Twitter. And I think that if Twitter yeah. existed, I would have killed on it at that time because all of my material was very Twitter friendly. Mm. And now I'm not as Twitter friendly. And like now my stuff is a little bit too complicated for Twitter and I actually struggle sometimes to write good tweets. But 
um, what I learned by doing stand-up that way for so long and just like having training as a stand-up is, is I know how to write a joke. Right. And I know how to time out a punchline. Like I know those skills. And so, and it was funny because when I first started, I was so young that people would say to me, like, you don't have any life experience to talk about on stage, so how can you really be that funny? Like, you just write jokes that are kind of... And they weren't wrong. But what, sure. they, what they didn't understand was that what I was learning, which I didn't understand until later, was that I learned how to approach life situations with a comedic eye so yeah. that when I did finally start, like, getting older and, like, actually having life things happen to me... I knew how to craft them into comedy material. And so that's kind of where I'm at now. And like, so a lot of like the things that happen in my life that are quote unquote stories, like I am able to almost, as I just tell them to people, I almost tell them like I'm telling stand up Cause I, I you actually mm. like, because I know how to like structure jokes for sentences. Like when you listen to me, tell a story and I'm not the only comic that does this plenty of other storytelling comics do this too. But when you listen to me, tell a story, um, you can kind of hear that there are punchlines scattered throughout. Completely, mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's where a lot of people who like want to be comedic storytellers at a stand-up venue go wrong. Is they think, well, this story builds to a funny thing, and there are really funny moments in this story. Mm-hmm. But it's like a, a, a stand-up story can't just be there are funny moments in the story. Like the way you tell it has to be funny. Sure. Mm-hmm. No, it almost like the way that you pepper in jokes in in this set is kind of. It's it makes the audience not want to miss a word, you know. It's like mm-hmm. if somebody was laughing or or like put their drink down when you said for the second time, like put your hands in the air, starting to care. It'd be, it'd be like so bummed out if you missed that because yeah. everybody loved it mm-hmm. so much. Or dress with the pockets. That yeah. was one of my favorites. Thank you. Yeah, I love yeah. that dress with the pockets. Thank you so it's much. It's such a real thing too. I mean, there's a huge difference between wearing a dress. Sans pockets. Yeah. And wearing one with. It's like, weird now. I have so many dresses and skirts that have pockets that it's like weird now. Like right now my skirt today does not have pockets and my, I don't think my cardigan does either. Uh, maybe it does. I can't remember. Um, but it's weird now when I have something. Like I have, a, I still carry a purse, but yeah, there's no pockets. In it's like your um, day isn't going to be quite as good as it could yeah, have been yeah. had you exactly. had pockets. Yeah. I, I try and leave with as little things. So if I can just like, usually I'll just bring a jacket so I don't have to carry a purse. Yeah. Oh, I'm I with you. I still carry a purse because my, my wallet, like I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who like can't just throw her credit card and cash into a pocket and feel like it's going to be okay. Like I want to have a thing carrying it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I still carry a purse, but yeah, there are occasionally times where I'm like, can I just take my keys and go? Like if I'm going to like going to run somewhere and put them in, put them in. Who are your um, favorite storyteller comics? Um, that's a good question. Um, Mike Prodiglia is a really big one and he's he's someone who I, I kind of like, if I'm like looking for inspiration for how to craft an idea for a set, he's somebody, um, Paul F. Tompkins is another one who I think mm-hmm. is really good at that. Uh, Jackie Cation is really good at that. Mm. And Maria Bamford mm-hmm. is someone. So that's a, that's a couple of people that I think. Those are, are good. Really Those examples. are good ones. Yeah. yeah. I, you, you mentioned something in your set about how you said something like if you, if you still thought I was a man, I paid somebody to take out, my my, your yeah. your <laughs> yeah. but for me i feel like for me it was when you said that like having like one of your first orgasms was with a vibrator and that yeah. was like yeah no other person that is a woman would say that yeah um yeah I, it was a a true thing like because like i talked about it a little bit in the act about how i don't know how, I don't know how many clips you're playing this episode or have they've already heard this material and, and they've heard it okay. yeah 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 so yeah that was like when i when i learned that this was a thing that i could do because like i i mean like i kind of glossed over it in the material where they gave me that, they gave they really did give me a document that said like here's the things that will happen like you would no longer enjoy sex that's really all it says 
And it took a mm. lot of digging on the internet to find actual information about how trans women can have like full orgasms after we started taking hormones and transitioning. And that's wild. It's, it's one of these things where there is still so much gatekeeping in the medical community to try to prevent people from transitioning. Really? And, and that they don't want to make it knowledge that there are like ways that it can be very pleasurable and very like wow. positive. It's like almost like they really want this image out there to be like, unless you were absolutely suicidal, be miserable, you shouldn't transition. And I think is I was never suicidal. Like, I mean, I wasn't, I was, I mean, I had thoughts about it, but I never sure. like tried to kill someone. Sorry. Trigger warning people who are suicidal. Uh, I know it's a thing. Um, I never tried as an adult, like as, as a teen, I thought about it, mm-hmm. but I, I think that a lot of people, seem to think that the only choices in life are ecstasy or despair. And I think Mm. that there are like middle grounds. And like, so for me in the years before I came out in transition, like I wasn't suicidal, but I was also just coping. Like I wasn't, and like people don't like coping is not necessarily the way to live your life. And like, you're not happy, like you're surviving, but you're not happy. And like, I can honestly say that I'm happy now. Like there are. And so Mm. that's one of the things like the orgasm thing was something that I did not know was something that could happen. And like, it was not. And then once people find out about it, then there is, there is conversation to have about it. And like, I now know other trans women who have told me they've had like similar experiences or talk about it, but it's so hard for us to find community to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And there are like, there is a, a zine out there called, um, FTW, which means fucking trans women. And, um, it's basically like a guide for, and then there's also a web thing that I, I lose every time I have to find it again. I keep forgetting the bookmark it, but there was like a web resource by a trans woman named Rebecca Kling who does like a lot of one person shows. Like she actually has an amazing one person show. Like I've heard of her. She's yeah, great. Sure. She does. She has an amazing one person show that I saw called something, something new vagina. And it was all about her process of getting her, uh, vaginoplasty. So it's wow, really fascinating. Cool. And, it was funny because when I first found this document, I was thinking about her and then I realized she'd written the document that I was reading. And so it was funny. That, like, <laughs> she had, and it basically breaks down in sections. Like if you are in a relationship with a trans woman, here are ways that you can give her an orgasm. And then it was like, if you are a trans woman, here are ways that you can self pleasure. And like, there's like things like mm. that. And it's like both with and, like sectors, like a section on what you can do with toys and stuff like that. So I, I found all this information and then I went into one of my women's groups on Facebook and I just like asked questions about like, what is a good vibrator? Like, what should I get? Cause like, like that, I didn't know what else to like, how to start. And I, yeah, I went to um, mm-hmm. the pleasure chest here in Los Angeles and I got a little silver bullet thing and yeah. whatever those things, magic bullet. And then I got that and that was really good. And I also got a wand off of, off of uh, online cause it was like 40 bucks. Cause like the, like the whole, like the, like the magic wand, like the, the quintessential yeah. white with the blue head yeah. I think. and that was a little too intense for me but the bullet and then I ended up like actually it's funny because I kickstart I, I I donated to a kickstarter last year for a web series that was being filmed at the at the pleasure chest and part of my prize was a free vibrator and that oh, little thing cool. is super useful like that one that one is like that, that's been like my lucky charm but. I recently filmed uh, at the pleasure chest and they were so amazing because of this mm-hmm. because when you think of sex shops in Los Angeles, where you think of sex shops anywhere, they're the kindest people. They have yeah. workshops. They mm-hmm. have they yeah they like they're like oh like a wine and cheese night and like learn about like how yeah, to yeah. give like head 
and like to both people. I need and yeah. it's these. so, so they're so lovely. Yeah. When I was there, actually, my first, my, my, when I went in to get my, my vibrator, they were actually teaching a class in the front on women's orgasms. And I almost wanted, like, I didn't have the courage then that I do now sure. where I would have walked up then and be like, how do I do it? Like, what do you, like, what do you know about me? And they probably would have been like, Oh, this is what you, this is what you do. But at the time I was so scared. Yeah. And I actually, um, when I, the bummer was when I went there, um, the only person working because there were the women who were there were working in the front at this workshop. There was a man working as his man in the back and like very much was not like someone who I felt safe talking to you about when I was so I kind of just grabbed mm. the first thing I was like where are your bullets because I just wanted something I wanted something cheap to, like experiment with <laughs> you and walk then, into a store and you're like where are your bullets yeah yeah I don't mean anything to do with weapons yeah yeah I think I think, I think in a store like that they know what you mean but sure. um and then it was like him and then like a bunch of like what like a seemingly heterosexual cisgender couples and I definitely felt like I was now something of the weird thing they were all gonna like giggle about later and like mm. so it was very I did not feel comfortable or safe but it wasn't because of the store it was because I just happened to pick the worst possible time to go but I still got that bullet and it was worth it because then like I was so into, I had so much anticipation and I had, to go, I had to go do a show and like literally the whole time at the show I'm like I just want to go home and, and <laughs> vibrate on myself and I want to go home and play with it and it was really interesting and it was like a experience that I'd never had before and it was really wow. interesting I think That's awesome yeah and I, I think it's interesting that the theme for the show was investigation and and, and not one but two women talked about finding their orgasm yeah, and back I to think, back mm-hmm. back to back and also uh talking to her about like why i mean like so many women can't and so yeah. many women struggle with it and i think like in people every everyone was laughing because people knew and especially yeah. like mm-hmm. and and so much like for you to talk about your um like figuring out how to have an orgasm is, is going to hopefully help so many other people too. be like, it's okay. It's like, you'll find it. Just try some different stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that was what was really interesting for me when I first went through this process a couple of years ago, because I was writing for like a website that I was like doing freelance stuff, a website that was like romance and sex things. And I wrote a piece about being at the time, I think I was 34 mm-hmm. and I was like, I've never really had an orgasm. And, like, I was Mm -hmm. talking to women in groups on Facebook and, like, stuff like that about it and on Twitter. And so I got all these messages from people that tell me their, like, little stories about, like, what, like, how, like, they had a partner who he, like, she she couldn't come just from sex. But, like, if he used the vibrator on her while they were having sex, then she could have one, right? Someone, Mm -hmm. like, who, like, they discovered what the bathroom running water did for her. Mm -hmm. Like, stuff like that, like the more I heard stories like that, it was the most in my life that I've, I've felt less othered as a trans woman. Cause I was like, Oh my God, this is like a real experience that all, a, a lot of women go through. Yeah, and I suddenly felt like so part of something as opposed to feeling outside. Cause like a lot of times formative things for women are things that I feel like behind the curve on or outside of a little bit because of how late in my life I came out. And so I, it's, it's frustrating for me sometimes, but it was interesting to have this one thing that like, Oh my God, like I am so not alone on this. Like it's amazing how much I'm not. And like, Oh my, I mean, I wish I was more alone. I wish that it wasn't a thing that people had to deal with. I wish like there was more understanding of the complexities of female sexuality in the world, but at the same time, we're having these conversations right now. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, Oh, I'm glad that I'm not alone in this. Like, cause yeah. I have a joke in my act that I don't think I told that night. Cause I opened with talking about the orgasm thing where I say that, um, and this is such a joke cause I don't 
I, I don't actually want people to be sexist, but I also joke that when someone is sexist towards me, there's a bit of a moment of like, all right, well, at least they're validating my identity. Like, it's like that kind of thing. And like, that is definitely a comedic point of view. It's not like my legitimate point of view, but as a right. joke, it's really funny. Like, yeah. like last night at the bar, um, well, I, I was at a bar for a friend's birthday and one woman at the bar asked me if I was a dude or a girl, which like put me in a bad mood. But then the bartender called me dear. And I'm like, all right, well, at least he gets it. Like, cause he's <laughs> yeah. giving me, he's being like this guy to me. So I'm like, all right. Like that, like I, that's, I can't believe some people are just like, some people are just dumb. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's about some sums it up. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's so like entitled. It's definitely yeah, it's not the like, same thing, yeah, but it's it, the same as like it's not. I'm like it's not the same thing, but it's the same thing. It's when like an older man calls me sweetheart is kind of like, why do you think it's appropriate to give me a pet name, or yeah. why is it appropriate for you to touch me? Having said that, I don't touch people without their consent, but I do say that I I have adapted. Unfortunately, a real like. Um, affectation of mine is I've started calling a lot of people sweetie and I don't know why and it's like it's like my midwestern in me I get think. out but I do like I, I what I'll, you I'll, just I'll, call like, me like I do it like it's such a weird thing and I don't think I don't yeah. think I, do, I don't think I do, I do as much as I used to okay for obnoxious. women to do it yeah. but <laughs> I guess but I, I I also like I've joked that like I've transitioned into like being a waffle house waitress where I'm just like <laughs> walking around calling people sweetie and warming up their coffee You're like, like that's, oh did you call me dear yeah thank you yeah I think I think because like my my way of like having like, feminizing my voice a bit is is giving myself a clearly affected vocal fry and like sure. I guess it's all I can really do and like I think that like it just makes me sound like I'm going to be serving coffee at some point like that's so funny yeah oh, do you think that because of the climate of being a woman today do you feel it's a two part question do you feel like you transitioned during the best or worst time to be a woman oh I mean I think that that's tough to say. I definitely, definitely have the worst time to be a woman. Right. I mean, we're not like there are there. I mean, there are, it's the worst time in other parts of the world. Sure. sure. But, or still, the, still as bad. Like, I think it's, it's tough to say that it's, it's the best time that we've known to sure. be a woman. Unless, unless yeah. we go back to like antiquity and you have like, matriarchal societies or like the island of lesbos in greece like little like isolated incidents where like then like there's never been a time in like modern recorded history that wasn't super patriarchal so it was like i can't think of a better time to be a woman that's Mm -hmm. good um but i also think that's not that's not like me saying well it's all sunshine and lollipops now and we're doing (laughs) great like Mm -hmm. i think that like that's like relatively best time to be a woman, but definitely not historically. Definitely not like no. ideal. Right. We're not the platonic ideal of womanhood yet, but yeah. Right. And the um and and you transitioned when you were in your thirties. I did a little bit later than I wish I would have. Do you think that it like you are you happy that you waited until you were in your thirties? No, not at all. I I. Mm. It's weird because I don't think that culturally it would have been a good idea to do it younger. Like I think that I don't think that there was like the space, especially where I grew up to be open. I think it would have been a much harder life for me to be Mm -hmm. like openly trans in my like teens. Cause like there was only one out gay male kid in my school. Like, and we were a big school and it wasn't that there weren't gay kids in our school, which is that he was the only one out. Um, And a lot of the rest of us came out in college or later. Um, and so I can't imagine how hellish my, my life was already hell in high school. I was already picked on a bunch. Cause I think that even when you're not out 
like people still know something is different about you. Like the people does the way you carry yourself. I think maybe I don't know. Um, but like I was picked on like crazy. I can't imagine how much worse it would have been if I had been coming to school presenting myself as a girl and fighting. And like my school even had like really and for a public school strangely draconian rules against any form of like cross dressing and like that. Like we like really? like um, at Halloween we weren't allowed to cross dress. And when hmm. it was like a spirit week, if a, a boy came to school in a skirt, like I think our principal would just really hated the idea of it. And like like I remember I really wanted to be Buffy the Vampire Slayer one year for Halloween and like had a costume or anything and then like at the last minute chickened out and went as Xander instead. And oh. I remember when I got to school, my principal was right in the lobby waiting for people to walk in who were violating the, 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 the dress code for costumes. And so I'm like, I'm, I, I wish I would have been Buffy, but also glad that I wasn't because I would have gotten in trouble immediately when I walked in. Right. And there was a student who um, liked to wear dresses as a, as a joke a lot. And I always want to find him and went, or possibly her and find out what happened after graduation yeah. from this person, but I don't know. But uh, I remember seeing him in the... Uh, for lack of knowledge of better terms now, if in case I'm wrong, but I remember in like the lunchroom and he like came walking through the lunchroom and he had like on like a flapper's dress and like a blonde wig. And then like immediately got like called to the office. But I think he was doing it as a joke, but I don't know. Cause mm. like I would do it as a joke too until stop being a joke. And I was like, right. cause like for me, comedy being my defense mechanism, that was like my way of being like, Oh, if no one thinks this is like, okay, they'll think it's a joke and uh, that's, everyone's laughing with me, you know? Sure. So, um, but yeah, I didn't, I think I rambled a lot there. I'm sorry. Um, I tend to no, do that. Please. I, so in an ideal world, I would have loved to be able to come out and transition as a kid. Sure. I would love to, I would love to have done pre puberty because mm-hmm. like puberty ruined my life. Like I, I will never, I, because I went through a male puberty in my, my teens, like I'll never be able to transition to where like people like would never at a bar think to ask me, are you a man or a woman? You right. know, um, so I wish I could have done it younger. I did not have the presence of mind to it. Like, even when I came out, I came out in 2009. I didn't think then I would ever transition. Like, I, mm. it took me five years after coming out to finally, like, accept that I really wanted to transition. I was terrified of it. And, again, mm. it goes back to the whole thing. Like, I, all the talk about being trans makes it sound like if you're not, like, completely suicidal, you should not transition. So I, I believed that. And then... Like wow. somebody was like, but are you happy? And like, it took a while, but that like finally sunk in yeah. was like, but like maybe you should try being happy and like seeing how that works. And like when I really accepted that, like, and I'm so, so glad that I did finally do it. Yeah. But at the same time, because I waited so long, like it'll always be a little bit missing a bit. Like I'll never, like I can have as many plastic surgeries as I want to, which I don't really want to have any. Um, I can take as many hormones as I want, but my face will always look a little bit masculine and my voice will always be this deep. And like, so there are certain things that um, are like hard walls for me to not be able to overcome. And that's tough because that's like, because one of the aspects of trans, like the experience that doesn't get talked about as much because like there's so much focus on like people just like, oh, they feel better this way or whatever, is that there is a thing that is uh, speaking specifically for a more binary trans woman like myself, I don't want to speak to the entire community, but there's this concept of gender dysphoria, which is like a physical sense of discomfort with our bodies mm-hmm. and like a disconnect with our bodies and you feel detached from it. And so I feel less of that now that I've transitioned. And mm-hmm. like I had surge because of my surgery that I had, I feel less of it than I used to because my body's not functioning on testosterone anymore. Right. But I'll never be completely free of it. Like there are definitely going to be days where I look in the mirror and no matter what, I still see that like rugged male face that I just hate. And like, I can make, and like there are other days where I feel, I feel very cute and I, I like, 
I like what I have going on. Yeah. But I will, I think that I'll always to some degree feel a little bit lacking because of not knowing sooner. Like I knew, but I didn't know, you know what I mean? Like I, like I, I knew intrinsically there was something I, I, I understood at a very, very young age. I'm talking a lot. I'm sorry. No, um, no this so is an point. interview with yeah. you. This yeah, is the yeah. whole point. I understood at a very like childish age that, I was supposed to be a girl or I felt I was supposed to be a girl and that it was wrong that I wasn't, but I didn't really know what the term transgender meant. I didn't sure. know trans, I, I barely, I got, I didn't really learn the trans, word transvestite until I was eight. And like, that was the closest thing I heard to what I was. And by the time I got older mm. and started hearing terms, it was always presented in a way where I'm like, well, that's not me. Cause again, it was this whole like miserable thing or whatever. Um, and it took me a long time to then kind of like cycle back to it. And like, I was in my late twenties when I came out and then I was in my thirties when I started transitioning. So, um, so yes, to answer your question, <laughs> I wish I had transitioned younger, but yeah. I think, again, like I'm saying, I don't know if I could have, like it right. sucks. Like, I don't mm. know. Like, I think that like, I, there are people who did. And so I shouldn't say that I couldn't have cause people did do it. And I, so I'm like, oh, you couldn't have, oh, you yeah. did do it. But so, you know, and everybody's on their own path. And what I think is so cool about, uh, being a transgender female comic is that you will change someone's life. Like fact it's it's weird because like you saying that is fine me saying it sounds so arrogant but at the same time like i remember do you remember like a year or so ago when there was that thing where it was like called like saraha and people were like posting anonymous like like you posted like give me your anonymous feedback and people would leave you notes about yourself that were like anonymous and like oh that sounds terrible it is and everyone was like there was like a it was like playing chicken with the internet right yeah people were doing it and what was happening was like I was afraid to do it because I've had previous experiences in the past where like I like on my Tumblr people could comment anonymously and so people would use it to like take out a grievance with me or post some like transphobic comment about me or whatever so I didn't want to do it because I'm like I, I already know people hate me for being trans so I don't need to get them the, the foster but I put it up and the the responses that I got from it were incredible like there was a couple Sure, there were, like, trolls. There are always going to be trolls. Yeah. Um, like, I, I post a lot of cosplay pictures, and so somebody commented, like, oh, your uh, you're woman cosplay needs work or something like that. I'm like, clever. Okay, I kind of admire the clever joke, but I also hate you. Um, <laughs> but there were people who commented, um, like, somebody said, like, they came out because of me. And, like, uh. somebody else said, like, they used to be kind of, like, like transphobic and, like, hearing me talk about my experiences and, like, following me on my journey helped them to understand, like, what was wrong with how they were viewing the world and how they were treating and thinking about trans people. And so those kind of things happened. And that, yeah. like, wow. that's a weird responsibility to feel of, like, well, I, I, like, if I do nothing else with my career now, I've already changed someone's life. Yeah. But, like, at the same time, it's, like... And, like, also, like, that puts a weird like perspective on you when then like you're then going out for jobs. Like we almost wanted to be like, you need to cast me cause I'm saving lives. <laughs> like, like it's such a weird, like if you don't cast me, you actually want people to die. Like, I'm basically horrible. a social EMT. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I'm always curious people from Ohio, is your family uh, conservative or are they liberal? No. Um, well, mm. uh, family outside of my immediate family is sure. um, like extended Ditto. family for the most part is pretty conservative and my parents and I and one of my cousins are like the radical leftists of the family which is funny because we're not that radical and <laughs> like my, my, my dad is a democrat because he 
Spent You're like, don't touch life. my money. <laughs> he's he's a Democrat who spent his whole life in unions, so like wow. he's that kind of like he's like a labor Democrat, but he is pretty socially progressive too. Like yeah. he was very accepting of me when I came out. Um, That's great, and like that kind of stuff. And like he's been very like when my when my older brother who had been estranged came back into our lives, my dad was just like. I have four sons and I have a daughter and anyone who's not okay with that is not welcome back in my life. And so like, um. that was like a cool like thing that my dad and like, yeah, my dad's very good about referring to me as a daughter. And like one time he called me son on the phone and I didn't even notice it. And then like texted me later to tell me how sorry he was that he called oh, me son. That's and I was so like, oh my sweet. God, you don't have to, but thank you. Yeah. My dad's a, my dad's a really good person. My mom, oh my, my mom accepts me now and we're, we have a good relationship now, but there was a few years where it was really tense and, and tough. And actually it's funny cause, um, coming out I came out as a cross-dresser first and then I decided right. to transition and I feel like deciding to transition is what actually helped my mom to get that it wasn't just like a trivial thing that I was doing and then mm. I like really felt like like it was a real part of me and I think it's, it's interesting that like you would think that like cross-dressing would be easier to go ah it's just clothing who cares mm. but like yeah I think her point hmm. was like why do you have to dress this way if you don't have to but when it became like, no, no, I am a woman and I'm going to live as a woman, mm-hmm. like, I think that made her go, okay, I need to get comfortable with this and accept it and accept my child. And, and your parents still together? Yes. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's my dad's second marriage, but, um, yeah, they've been together for a very long time. I think they're, I think they're, I think they might even be past 40 at this point. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they would be because I'm 36 and my, my brother who passed away would have been turning, so he would have been turning... 41 this year so yeah and they were married for about a year so yeah I think they might have just hit 40 last year so this will be their 41st this year do you still travel as a comedian yeah I do a little bit traveling I don't do a lot of gigs in the Midwest but I will say that when I go home to Columbus for the most part I do okay with gigs there like I actually have done shows at the club that I started at which is in a mall and it's a very mixed audience but I've, I've done fairly well and I've had some like you know it's I think that there's like something about I think my act is very like I've been, I've been told that I have like an, an every woman quality to me. Yeah. And like they said, like it's I'm, approachable. Yeah. You make it. Yeah. So, and I think that's kind of like what's important about like what I try to remind myself to keep myself going is that like what's important about what I do is that I make people see that being a trans person is not scary. Like yeah. I'm just a person. And like I, a lot of the things that I go through are things that other people go through as well. And we can relate to that. And I think that helps. And also I will say that going back to what you said earlier about, change people's lives or whatever i i have had a lot of times where i've done a show twice the last times i come back to columbus and done these christmas shows that i do there when i got off of the stage a family told me that like they have a child who is trans and like they were glad that i was there and like 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 a teenager or whatever and it makes me go oh they're probably so excited to have someone who can make them see that their kid's gonna be okay yeah it could be okay yeah yeah. Like yeah. It's like, hell, here's a person who is in the same like cultural class as my child and, and she's doing comedy and she's like performing and she has confidence and she's all she's surviving. So celebrating. Yeah. And so. gives you some perspective for, you know, yeah. your your mother for like if she like kind kinda sorta, but mm-hmm. like if she like she wasn't exposed to yeah. Because it wasn't in the it wasn't in the like the zeitgeist stuff. Yeah, when I was a kid, my mom was kind of homophobic, and she's yeah. gotten over that. And like, it took a lot of like she went back to school when I was going to school, and she got a teaching degree. And I think that going back to college later oh, in life, wow. and like being around other people in the world, like really kind of helped give her perspective. And like she like there was a, a friend of hers in school who like later came out as gay, and like she like knew he was gay before he came out, and like understood like oh he's just like I get it now and like you know not I I 
she's fine. And like I, I, so I think that I don't have any sort of ill will towards her for the time period where she didn't understand me and was working. I, at the time, it hurt, but sure. now I like get it. Like you had to work through it. And like, unfortunately, I wish that wasn't always the case. But that's why I love like when a lot of TV shows that have like queer plot lines, if they do make a coming out story, I like sometimes when like the good parents aren't always immediately accepting of it because sure. I think that like a lot of times, like the Dawson's Creek, yeah. Well, that that was a bad parent, but like it <laughs> was like didn't he was like he was like bad bad. Yeah, yeah. That 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 used to be the only storyline was like angsty teenage coming out. But then yeah. I feel like other shows went too far in the other direction, and they have like on take, fresh off the boat, they had a, a pretty decent lesbian it. coming out storyline this past season with one of the neighbors, and her dad was like comedically not okay with it where like it turned out to be like a thing on him and not on his daughter but then it was like totally cool with it but that show is set in the 90s and I couldn't believe like oh okay, this dad was this accepting of it in the 90s like yeah. maybe but it seems mm. really easy whereas at the same time um, Brooklyn Nine-Nine also had a coming out storyline and those parents were not as cool with it right away and like had to deal with it and I think it's good to have those stories because like we saw this year, like Love Simon came out, and yeah. the parents mm-hmm. of Love Simon were just so accepting and so okay with their kid, and that's great. Like it's it, it's good to present it in a way that like parents watching it can be told like, hey, this is how you should do it. Yeah. But at the same time, that coming out is not common for most kids who come out. Like most kids, even the most liberal parents will often. This isn't even a trend. Like, this is just coming out as gay. Even will stumble because mm-hmm. it's not what they expect to hear. Mm-hmm. It's not what they originally envisioned for their child or whatever. And it takes them a second to go, okay, this is not about me. This is not like that. I still love my child or whatever. And I, I think that we're getting better about that not being the case, but it's still there. And I think what happens is when all the good characters on shows have these like loving families that are like, whatever, we're good. I think then what happens in real life is that if a kid does come out and their parent isn't that cool with it right away, then they go, oh my god, what's wrong with me? Like my parents still don't love me when they love these. Like, so I think that like it's good for shows and stuff to process to mm. show what like really tends to go down sometimes. And I think that like that's more relatable for I think for queer audiences to watch and feel connected to. And it helps. I think I think when uh, kids come out if they've seen those shows or those movies, they might be more able to weather the storm because they've seen like other people they can relate to go through the same process they have. That's yeah. No, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought about that. I love that. I have one last question sure. for you. If you could be on any TV show, present day, what would it be? Doctor Who. Ooh. Really? Yeah, I mean it's my favorite show, and it's also like it's a show that has informed my view of the world completely. So that would be the show. Yeah, I never would be because I'm American. But I, if I could be on any show, that would be it. What what American TV show? Oh, why would you do that to me? Uh, <laughs> that's a lot harder question to answer. Um, probably Fargo. Oh, okay. yeah, I think because well, although Fargo, yeah, like Fargo is just like one of the most fun shows on TV. It's, I, I I think it's objectively the best show on TV right now, um, and I, it's it's really fun. It's also like yeah, you get to work for a season and then you move on and do something else. But it's oh, uh, Fargo is really interesting, and I think I could do the I, I, I think I could do that Midwestern voice pretty well if I was pressed to oh, do it absolutely. for a while. So yeah, it comes out in the worst times yeah which is almost all the time for me <laughs> oh i get my it comes out for me too are you kidding um and riley yeah. thank you so thank much thank you so Thanks much for having this me. was awesome i want to say thank you to all of my performers thank you to my producer alex thank you to peter thank you kyle everyone who helped me i love you all thank you for coming uh, 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 uh.